time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Christine Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 111 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton, but most important, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly, and what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Cinnamon spice. There's something really good about cinnamon. Mm-hmm. So are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am, but first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a longtime subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats. Orders $40 and more ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. Okay, so how are you doing on this cloudy 67 degree day in January? It doesn't feel like it's 67 degrees. It's really damp and kind of foggy out there. I mean, I've been doing animal care all day and then I came home and knitted a little bit and now we are recording. That's something we should tell everybody the last few weeks, just because multiple colds in our household and illnesses, we didn't want to get each other sick. We are still recording via Zoom. We are hoping by the end of the week or at the latest by next week to be back in our studio and recording at our table with our microphones. So bear with us just hopefully one more week of Zoom. It's not our favorite either. No, definitely not. So how's your week been? So far, so good. We ended up having to separate the Nankin Bantam babies earlier than we thought. Oh, no. The little pullets are in one place, and we're trying to integrate the three boys. They started fighting very, very, very early. How old are they now? They're nine weeks. The boys started crowing at like six weeks, and then they started getting in scuffles. And so they're going into our Bantam bachelor flock. So we have two of them that are living together in harmony and the third one is going in and out of timeout until they can work it all out. And <laughs> I heard it this morning. The little boy was so cute. You could hear all the scuffles. And then when you picked them up, he was like, don't move me. I want to beat up my brothers. <laughs> they're ridiculously cute. They really are the cutest things. I just love those bantams. It happened with the other batch too. We just need to keep working. They'll be best of friends. And then they will go in with the bantam bachelor flock. We are ordering two modular pieces to make our omelet walk-in run even better. I love that you can do that. That's awesome. Yeah. I remember you were saying that Martha kind of started it all up, though. She was done with being with those babies. She's like, get me out of here. She was finished. And so she was picking on the boys. And then the boys were fighting amongst themselves. That's why we originally separated them. Soon as all the boys were out, she started picking on the girls. So Martha, (laughs) Martha is back out with George and the other girls right now. She's like, I had enough of nursery time. Put me back with all the adult people, please. Like, you kids are on your own now. She was the best mother. It was really, really great to watch her do this. You really didn't have to do much. She just did everything. And, you know, you were saying it's so much easier than incubating. So if you have the luxury of having a broody hen do it, it's natural. It takes away a lot of the headaches and worry. Mm -hmm. You know, they take care of everything. 
Yeah. Yeah. On this side, we've been pretty good. Everyone's still kind of having this lingering illness. I'm like, please, people, get better. I just want everyone to be well. And I'm going to try to start eating healthier. It's the beginning of the year. That should last about two weeks. <laughs> I was going to say, I'll just be over here watching. Part of me is like, well, it's beginning of January. I should be eating healthier. But no, I haven't started yet. This was a particularly weird holiday with people being ill and lots of other stresses. And I made a lot of cookies this year and I ate a lot of cookies this year. I have to say the same here. I made a lot of cookies for the holidays and I just kept going back and eating them. And I'm like, I need to drop the cookie weight now. It's time. It's time. The cookie weight. (laughs) Everyone can relate. Oh, heck yeah. (laughs) Okay. So if you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. While you're there, hit that subscribe button. It's another great way to help us grow. And the best part is you never, ever miss an episode. You can tell a couple of chicken-loving friends about the podcast. You can share your favorite episodes on social media. You can visit our Etsy shop, check out the t-shirts and mugs that we have there. You can also become a patron of the show, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. We have a great group of patrons there. And the other thing you can do to help support the show is visit our show notes, use our affiliate links and discount codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah? Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the November box, I absolutely love that glass rooster cutting board and the woven chicken tea towel. I adore those Santa chicken hats and scarves, and I cannot wait to hang those chicken ornaments up on my chicken tree. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog today. Yeah. I love it because it always makes me laugh. I never know what's going to come out for this week's Breed Spotlight. I'm feeling this one. That's our one venture into spontaneity in the show. This week's breed spotlight is the Rosecomb Bantam. It's a cute little Rue Bantam. You're going to want this little one by the time we're done with it. Oh, yeah. The beautiful Rosecomb Bantam is a very, very old breed of chicken. 
According to the Rosecombe Bantam Club of the UK, the earliest known mention of the breed was in 1483. This is before 1500. So when we say old, we mean old. A man named John Buckton was the owner of the Angel Inn. The Angel Inn is in Grantham in Lincolnshire. Oh. He kept a Rosecombe Bantam flock that he had inherited from his father. So right there, you're talking about earlier in the 1400s. Exactly. There are also documents that mention King Richard III. You know, my kingdom for a horse, King Richard. Oh, yeah. Apparently, he often took rooms at the Angel Inn, and he is recorded as having bought Rosecombe Bantams from Mr. Buckton. Nice. As we've mentioned before, Bantams are usually popular with wealthier people, generally people who could afford to keep chickens for anything other than food. Right. They were most definitely pets. I mean, they did have a few jobs, but nothing like a dual-purpose chicken would have. No. And essentially, King Richard's interest in the Rosecombs set a fashion for them amongst the English gentry. If you were back in that time and you had a bantam, you were of wealth. And basically, it's kind of like the pocket dogs, pocket chickens of this day and age. It wasn't about the food whatsoever as it was as a sign of your wealth and a pet. The only exception to that are fighting birds. But the reality about fighting birds is that people across all walks of life and income levels manage to keep them. It's one of those things I have a really hard time wrapping my head around as a historian. Oh, yeah. But the fact remains that I never found any evidence that the rosecomb was used for fighting, but never say never. I guess because these people were making money off of them, they at that point were like, okay, this is a business venture for me torture of an animal so horrible and i wish we could erase it but we can't you know so it didn't exist so the beautiful rosecone bantams are tiny elegant birds i love their big white earlobes they're so elegant looking like the big pearl earrings on them they're so cute they really are they are true bantams and they were most likely developed in the uk along with some of the other very old varieties of true bantams like the nankins okay the nankins very early on were known as yellow bantams. And so okay. you tend to see, see those kinds of names like this is a yellow bantam. This is a rosecone bantam. They didn't use buff, but that's what we would use today instead of yellow. But right. it makes sense. It's just a description of what they are. Hey, bring me that yellow bantam and that becomes just the name of the chicken. Right. It's a pretty no nonsense, no frills name. At some point way back, The foundation birds for the rosecone bantams must have arrived in the UK from China or another part of Asia. But as far as we know, no known records exist with this information. Their name can be a bit confusing to modern chicken keepers because there are several breeds of bantams that have rosecombs. Right. The rosecone bantam is a distinct breed. Right. And a true at that. So there is no larger counterpart to this chicken. It's just the bantam. Right. Now, they have a rosecomb, of course, but it's a lot more similar to the rosecomb than the Dominique. So it's a smaller, finer, and closer to the head comb that ends in a tapering spike. Yeah. It's not as huge as the red cap or the Old English pheasant fowl. Let me tell you something. That red cap, that is the biggest rosecomb I've ever seen in my life. Oh, yeah. They're enormous. A lot of times you'll see people saying a rosecomb does better in the cold, not when they're that big. No, not at all. So they have red faces, those huge white earlobes that I'm in love with. They have rounded waddles, dark eyes, and dark slate color legs. Except for the white rosecombs, the white rosecombs do have white legs. 
If you look at them, they're a very well-balanced bantam with nothing out of proportion. And they have this very proud air about them. If you look at them, you can see what I mean by well-balanced. The nankins are the same way. They're just beautifully proportioned. Yeah. The tail is almost like adult size, regular bird size tail, which is one of my favorite parts about bantams. It sets them apart. The tiny bird with the huge tail. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. They're lovely little birds. They really are. So when we say tiny, we mean tiny. They're along the same size as the nankins. 22 ounces for hens and 26 ounces for roos. That is small. It's very small. So you're looking about 1.6 pounds for the hens. And the roosters tend to max out at about 1 pound 10 ounces. It's crazy. Tiny birds. I mean, these birds at this size, to me, should be able to be, what do you call it for when you go on an airplane and you have to have a... Oh, a therapy animal or a... A therapy um, animal to sit with you on the plane. Right. They're so tiny. They're going to take up no space. This is my comfort bantam. My comfort bantam, they're used to being with people. I mean, that's what their purpose was from conception of them. I mean, for heaven's sake, you can wear one on your hat. You could have a bantam hat and say, I'm sorry, it's stuffed. And then they you start know, to crow. Lay an egg on your head. That wouldn't be good. But yeah, they're so tiny. And they should be allowed on airplanes. That's all I'm saying. We know that the rose-cone bantam was present in the USA during the 19th century, but their date of first arrival is unknown. I could not find that anywhere. We know for sure that rose-cone bantams were entered into the first U.S. poultry show in Boston in 1849, so they were definitely here then. It frustrates me that there aren't more records of chickens in general, but especially bantams coming to the U.S. on ships with Europeans. I you mean, would think that they were with the wealthier, that there would have been some sort of log or a diary kept. I brought this many bantams with me, but it's nothing that's publicized where you can go in a public record and find it. Right. We know that Thomas Jefferson and his niece bred bantams and they would write letters back and forth about them. We know that hers didn't always fare well in the cold. So the rose-cone bantam was accepted by the APA, and it did appear in the first printing of the Standard of Perfection back in 1874. That's early. Yeah. So both the black and the white varieties of rose-cone bantam appeared in the 1874 printing. Now, the blue wasn't accepted until much later. Right. And you know what we were looking up with black, white, and blue? We also found some splash, which is so fun. And these little birds are really, really cute. I mean, if you want to add a unique little bantam to your flock, look them up. You're not going to be disappointed. They're so adorable. They're very, very pretty. So the blue was accepted in 1960, which is much later. Yeah. And I'm guessing that that whole black, white, blue splash genetic phenomenon just probably took a while for them to have enough blue that's up to standard. Exactly. And it's a very unique look. The earlobes on these chickens, they're not like little earlobes that you're going to see on your leghorns that are white. They're huge. They stand out very starkly against the chicken. Oh, yeah. So the British Poultry Club accepts black, white, and blue, as well as Birchin, black-breasted red, and Colombian. Now, the American Bantam Association accepts 26 different colors of rose-cone bantam. Okay, so let's just list a few of these. Porcelain. Lemon blue. Bard. Buff. Mottled, creel, red pile, silver duck wing, blue red, ginger red, millie fleur, and ex checker. Those are a lot of colors. We didn't even list all of them. 
Apparently, no. some of these color varieties haven't been seen in a long, long time. I've seen some speculation that some of them may have disappeared, which is sad. Yeah, it is sad. But I mean, if this is like a little conservation effort that you want to get into with the rose cone bantam, if you start with the white, the black, and the splash and the blue, you could kind of see what you can do and what kind of colors you end up with. It could be fun. So it's not surprising that these really beautiful little birds have been popular for shows and exhibitions for a very, very long time. Lewis Wright cautioned of his course. readers that there was a lot of fakery in the Rose Cone Bantam show circles. Oh boy, Lewis fakery. Wright had to get himself in there. There's fakery out there. Everybody watch those rose combs. Well, he made a good point. I mean, this really only matters if you're trying to get birds for showing and for DNA conservation. Right. Essentially, what he was saying is that he felt it was too easy to create a fake rosecomb bantam from other breeds instead of sticking with true rosecomb genetics and taking the time to develop the bloodlines to breed standard. It was a problem. And even today, you see people debating the question, if it looks like a rosecomb bantam, is it a rosecomb bantam or does it have to have the <laughs> DNA of a rosecomb bantam? We're soon going to see a website where you have to swab your chicken's mouth and send it. <laughs> well, the funny <laughs> thing is you do have to, to do that with most other livestock. If you yeah. wanted to register a llama or an alpaca in the breeder's registry, you have to send a blood sample. Yeah, I can see that coming at some point down the road. Well, I suppose it would be one way to make sure the genetic integrity was still intact. <laughs> it would be. So anyway, apparently Hamburgs were one of the breeds that were crossed with rosecone bantams to create the appearance of a show quality bantam. I can see that because they're cute little chickens. Right, right. Hamburgs. I really like the Hamburgs a lot. So there was a 191 publication by a man named Roger Hernshaw that I tracked down. He also noted that there were problems with too much inbreeding back then. And he also noted that the Hamburgs were frequently used for outcrossing. So whichever way you look at it, the Rosecombs probably have an appreciable amount of Hamburg DNA in their bloodlines. Some, a lot of fakery out there. <laughs> fakery. I, I just like the word fakery. It's so much fakery. Let's look at the hens. The hens are pretty good layers of small white eggs, as you would expect, because they are bantam. So they're going right. to be white eggs, and they have those big white earlobes. And they're going to give you maybe two eggs per week. And they stop laying when it gets cold. This breed is not known for food security for any way, shape, or form. Right. Eggs, meat, or anything. This is a pet or a show bird. Yeah. Now, the low numbers of eggs that they lay could be an issue. That can be an issue for rare breeds that are not easy to reproduce. And we did read in a couple different places that rosecone bantams are not the easiest to hatch and raise. If you put all that together, the fact that they don't lay a lot of eggs and that the young need extra care... It can be a recipe for diminishing numbers. Yeah. And a hundred years ago, both Roger Hernshaw and Lewis Wright also say that. So it's been an ongoing problem for the breed. Essentially, it sounds like the rosecone bantams are not a beginner's breeding project and that they really need someone dedicated to take on long-term preservation breeding. Now, did you find anything about broodiness? Are they good broody moms or not? Yeah, they'll go broody. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're bantams. If they're laying two a week and you have, you know, a boy and a girl, hopefully you would be able to get a broody to go for you and get some reproduction going of these beautiful little birds. But mm -hmm. like you said, two a week, that's not that many eggs at all. Some phantoms yeah. are laying four eggs a week. So they're pretty low on the totem pole when it comes to egg laying. 
people in the show community are familiar with rosecone bantams and people who are interested in historical breeds have probably come across rosecone bantams but they're largely unknown in the backyard chicken keeping community they make great pets though yeah they take up way less space than standard breeds the rosecombs specifically love to free range and are good foragers but they also do well in confinement and like what said, i would do should- is what i do with all the rest of my bantams I don't let them free range usually because they're so tiny and they fly. So we build them great big runs that serve as aviaries. Right. And if you're going to be out there supervised, free range is always the way to go. You have to supervise them closely because they will fly. They will fly up high and then you'll be getting a ladder and going up a tree or calling the fire department. I wonder if the fire department has ever had that call. My chicken is stuck in a tree. Can you please come help me get my chicken down? I, if question. you're a fireman listening to us, message us and you let <laughs> us know if you've ever gotten that call. I want to know. So the pros and cons, they weigh less than two pounds. This means that they are not cold, hardy birds. No, no, no. So if you're in a hot environment, this might be a bantam for you. I think all bantams do well in the heat because yes. they're so small bodied. But that's not to say that you can't have this chicken if you're in a cold environment. You just have to make provisions for them. Save panel heaters bring them in on extra cold days if you're willing to do that and set up a really safe place and heat it for them. Not too much with the heat, but just enough. You can have them in the cold. Right. With the cold snap we've just had, if you're online in any chicken group or on social media with chicken people, you're still seeing the debate raging about heat and cold, et cetera, et cetera. And more people are getting a little braver. Today, I saw someone with tiny silkies asking if she needed heat and someone said she did not need heat. And someone else piped up and said, I have Saramas and she's not comfortable with heaters, so she just brings them in the house. So I think you're going to see more and more people saying, look, these specialty breeds, these historical breeds, the small body chickens, the bantams, you got to make some provision. They need some help. They need protection. Yeah, they're tiny. I've heard a couple of people say, well, what did they do, you know, 500 years ago with these chickens? Brought them in in the crate and plopped them in front of the fireplace. They did. I have and, seen but- it written. Yeah, and geographically, they started in the place where they did well, and they stayed in that area. Mm-hmm. Then where you have this coming in is, you know, with trade and travel, right. then they traveled around the world and left that geographical home. And then you have to start to make provisions. So okay, they come across from where they're used to, they come here, they're in a different environment, different right. weather pattern, keep them safe. Small body birds, you got to do some stuff in the winter. So why don't you tell us, Holly, where can everybody find the Rose Code Bantam? There are a couple of large hatcheries that carry them, but it looks like the best way to get your hands on them is to check with the breeders groups. We will have them linked in the show notes. In the UK, you want to go to the Rosecone Breeders Club of the UK. In the US, there is also a breeders club. We'll have that linked in our show notes. And in the rest of Europe, Google's your friend. Use your search engine. You can also see if your country has a Rosecone Bantam Club and reach out there for a breeders list. And if you have one now, send us a picture. We would love to see your baby and we'll give you a story. We just love these little birds. They're so so adorable. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. 
Quick shipping from Amazon.com or Nestera.us. Use our code CWTCLP10 for 10% off. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosties store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do-it-yourself port feeder kits, water or nipple, and water or cup kits. And you don't even need to drive to the stores. They're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosties range or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, so let's move on to main topic. Yay! Yeah. So it's the new year. Happy new year. And we're talking about new year, new chicks. New chicks. It used to be that you'd wait until spring for the chick rush, right? Well, it's time right now in January to start thinking about your chicks. Many hatcheries have already opened up for spring ordering. In a month or so, your local feed stores may be publishing their chick lists. Um, Murray's Hatcheries catalog is now out. Yes, it's right here next to me. You need to start looking through because all of your other fellow chicken people are getting the catalogs and looking through. And here's what happens. If you wait a little too long, you don't get the chickens that you want. So this is the time to start thinking about if you're new to chickens, what your setup's going to be like, or looking at your number of chickens with your space available that you have in your run and coop situation, and then looking at the specs for all the birds. Which birds do you want to add and why? We've probably done breed spotlights on most of the common breeds. Yeah, go back and re-listen. Go through the breed spotlights. And if there's a bird that you're interested in, listen to the breed spotlight and see, is this going to be a bird for me? Does it lay the number of eggs that I want? Is it good with children? What kind of space? Those are the things you need to start thinking about right now. Choosing your site is also important. And that's the one you don't want to wait too long on. Decide where your coop and run are going to sit whether it's sheltered from the wind, whether it's a place where they're going to have shade in the summer, things like that. The other thing you want to do pretty early on is decide if you want your chicks vaccinated and which vaccines to get them. Definitely. We always get our chicks vaccinated from Merrick's, but now that we're working with McMurray Hatchery and we're getting our birds from them, they have the coccidiosis vaccine available. If you're going through McMurray, every vaccine, just get it. They're only a dollar something a vaccine. They're well worth it. Right. The Merrick's disease is self-explanatory. The coccidiosis vaccine, however, means that you can be pretty confident that if you feed unmedicated feed, your bird has some protection against coccidiosis exposure. And we did that last year and it worked out great for us. Yeah. And I believe that we're doing it again this year. The other thing you need to decide right now is whether or not you want to order online, whether you want to get chicks from your feed store, whether you want to go with hatching eggs. All these things are going to have a little bit of a different path you're going to take. The one thing that you need to consider with all of this and chicks is your brooder setup. So you need to make sure you have everything ready and know what you're going to do for your brooder and start getting that ready now so that you can just get excited about the arrival and then you're not running around, oh no, I can't get a brooder plate. I don't have the right size container to put them in. These things are easy enough to get now, have set up. Just a gentle reminder about that. If you are planning to use a brooder plate, make sure your brooder will be in a heated and sheltered space. An unheated garage or barn may be too cold for the chicks if you're only using a brooder plate. 
We keep a heat lamp on hand in case we need it for emergency. My garage is insulated but not heated. I do have a brooder plate for when it's warmer. And if it's a colder day in the spring, during the day and at night, if I have to put the heat lamp on just for a while to warm them up, I'm going to do it or bring them in. It's mm -hmm. definitely a situation where the brooder plate is awesome, but it's meant to be in a heated area. Yeah. It doesn't really work outside. The other reason I keep a heat lamp on hand for emergencies is if you're getting chicks through the mail and they arrive chilled, or if you have a chick that, say, gets all wet, if they're suffering from even the early stages of hypothermia, the brooder plate does not warm them up as quickly as they need to be warmed up. So you need to get them to like 95 degrees normally. But if they're chilled, sometimes you need the temperatures as high as 105 to get them back up to where they need to go. The brooder plates don't do that and the heat lamps do. So very careful emergency use of the heat lamp. Yeah, I is, keep it on hand, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And all the supplies, every year the brooder plates come out, the shavings. We've had chickens for many, many years, so all that stuff's on hand. If you're a new chicken mommy or daddy, you're going to need to make sure you have these things before they come home. Start warming the brooder up the day that they're supposed to arrive mm -hmm. so that it's nice and warm for them. New chicks, it's exciting. It's that exciting time of the year. I can't really stress enough the education of the breeds. It's so yeah. important because it will make your life in the spring and summer when you integrate these chicks into an existing flock so much easier to know about their personality traits, where, how they fit into your flock. When we started doing this, it made my integration so much easier. Oh, yeah. It's of the utmost importance for your own sanity that you oh are God. getting breeds that work well together. Just another quick note. If you are getting chickens and you live on property that has not had animals on it before, I highly recommend you get a soil test done. Just go to your local university. That's what you did. If you're on the East Coast, you can go to University of Delaware and send it in over there. Right. It's not expensive. No. And it may save you in the long run for veterinary bills and for sorrow and the loss of animals, making sure you don't have zinc or lead in that soil where they're going to be living. If you have an older home, I would definitely do it because you do want to test for lead. Lead in the soil will definitely impact them. And if you, like me, bought a farm met where someone had been dumping fertilizer by the barrel on the property, you might have too much zinc. And these are things you're going to want to know to spare yourself and your chickens a lot of heartache. I believe it's $14 for the test, and then you pay for postage to send the samples in, right? and then they get back to you with a full analysis. It's really a great idea. I can see that for sure. I mean, you know from experience, knowing beforehand would have saved you a lot. You could have built up first before you built the runs over there. Yep. All those things that you don't think about because everyone thinks chicks and cute. And I go back to the story that my mom always tells. You know, my mom grew up on the chicken farm and she said at Easter time, they used to, in the 50s, dye the chicks pink or blue and they I've would put them that. in Easter baskets. And then the chicks would get a few weeks old and then the chicks would all come to her farm and live. These were people that just did it for the novelty. They didn't have anything set up. Setting up and knowing for your new chicks what you're going to do is so important. Even though they're so cute, they need lots and lots of care. They do. And a reminder for our listeners who are going to be getting chicks for the first time, if you're ordering your chicks and you don't want roosters, you want to choose pullets only, you don't want straight run, that means mixed sexes, oh, and you yeah. don't want cockerels because those are also going to grow into roosters. Yes. 
if you are buying from some of the local feed stores, look carefully because most of the chicks will be sexed pullets, but not all, especially not bantams. If you're getting your chicks locally, usually from your local feed store, there's always a small chance that you're going to get a male chick, even if you're buying from a bin that says sex pullets. Chick sexers are very, very good at their job, but there's usually a 5 to 10% rate of error. Sometimes you do end up with a cockerel, and that's why we suggest that you have a rooster plan, even if you're buying sex pullets. Going in there and looking up the chicken, knowing a little bit about it before you pick which one is always a good idea too. Yeah, definitely. If you are planning to hatch eggs, have your rooster plan ready. The rooster plan is essential. When you hatch your own eggs, the split is generally 60% cockerels to 40% pullets. There's always more boys, and that is the thing that you need to be prepared for. Sometimes it is a little frustrating on our end when everyone is, what do I do with these boys? You see so many boys out there. Well, that plan needs to be in effect now. You need to start thinking about that now. If I get a boy that I don't want, what am I going to do so that there's not another homeless animal out there? Right. We're going to be doing an upcoming episode on building a bachelor flock, along with the wonderful Kelly from Poultry DVM and Adopt the Bird Network. I do maintain a bachelor flock here on my place, and it takes a little work to get it established, but then it's fantastic. I love all of my boys. They're so friendly. If you can manage a bachelor flock, that's a good way to go. The other thing you can do if you absolutely do not want cockerels is get auto-sexing breeds, breeds where the cockerels and the pullets are sexually dimorphic. One of our all-time favorites is the The leg bar. Crested cream leg bar. Yes. (laughs) Beautiful turquoise eggs, and they look very different. You are definitely set. So if you're in a neighborhood with an HOA, I'd never understand why roosters aren't allowed. It's just like a dog barking during the day. Honestly, it doesn't bother me. I guess I need to be living in France because they have the law that the roosters can rue wherever they want. But if you live in an HOA that says you can't have roosters or a city ordinance that says you can't have roosters, auto-sexing breeds are the way to go. We have the leg bars and they're wonderful little chickens. Oh, I love them. I didn't expect to love them as much as I do. I need more of them. The National Wildlife Federation, in their most recent magazine issue, there's an entire article in there. It's analyzing several recent studies in the UK and Germany that measures how much positive impact the sound of birdsong has on people's health. It's a really interesting article, and it was very quantifiable. It was an enormous boost to people's happiness to have birdsong around. Obviously, this study was all wild birds. My question is, does our poultry do the same thing for us? I think so. I love and hearing the, the chickens talk. Yeah, most mornings when you and I are talking on our morning calls, we're both out with the chickens and we can hear them through the phones. And it's a lovely sound and that means they're happy and they're walking around doing their thing and laying eggs and being happy. So it's a good thing. So just one other little note, if you're new to chickens or even if you're looking to expand... We highly recommend that you ask yourself two questions. The first is, why do you want chickens? Because that can have a big impact on your breeds and your setup and everything else. It's, it's really good to try to get clear with yourself about that. This is something I've asked myself before I started. What are chickens going to do for me? What am I going to do for chickens? We talked about it a few episodes ago. What to expect when you get chickens? What are the benefits of having chickens? And think, is that where you want to go? The other thing you want to do is have a very frank discussion with your family 
or your partner and make sure you are on the same page with what you want chicken wise and how you want to do things. It's going to be a family job. So just making sure everybody's going to pitch in and do chicken chores. Everyone's going to love them and give into their care because otherwise it's all going to be one person. One person's going to get resentful. We as a family all do chicken chores. It is a fun thing for us. It's also a responsibility. We have to be home in the morning and home at a certain time at night. Right. But we chose to do it. So make sure everybody's on the same page. It can get very sticky. If you want layers and you want them to be your pet, but your spouse wants them to be meat chickens, those don't cross very well. You have to be honest and work it out whether you have one layer coop and one coop for something else. You don't want to get in that big mess because it will completely take all of the joy and love out of chicken keeping. Yeah, you mentioned layer breed. So let's go into some of the best layer breeds that you can get in our opinion. Number one for me would be leghorns. And I'm going to follow the leghorns with the Australorp. Rhode Island Red is another excellent layer that is a good hearty chicken that's going to lay a lot of eggs and be loving for you. Sometimes they're a little spicy like my spicy, but (laughs) they'll definitely, you know, give you eggs and be loving. All of those work for beginner's chickens, though I caution people with the leghorns that they're not cold hardy and they need provisions. You know what? Leg bars too. They're not cold hardy. They need provisions, but they have the leghorn in them. And when they lay, they lay every day. They're another really cool breed that's going to give you lots and lots of eggs and they're auto-sexing and they're great family chicken. My next pick is also a great family chicken. They might need a little maintenance in the haircut department here and there. They're cold hardy, but they don't do well in wet weather or icy weather. And that is the Polish. Oh, yeah. They're known for being egg laying machines. Yes. That's one of their things. You get a nice sized white egg from them. And like you said, you will have to make provisions for them. They are kind of a breed that needs additional help in weather situations. But good with families and so much fun and beautiful. Now, a breed that I think is a great breed for families and beginners, but average for laying are the Orpingtons. Right. I would say every family should get an Orpington, but some people put them in the top layer category. They are not. They go broody a lot. Yeah. And they will not give you an egg every single day, or they generally give about two to three eggs a week. Mm -hmm. My next pick is an excellent family bird, Drop Dead Gorgeous very friendly, suitable for beginners, heat and cold hardy. That is the Barnevelder. Oh, yay. They're so pretty. And they lay dark speckled eggs. So you're going to get a little different color egg in there. I just love my truffle. She is amazing, beautiful, and excellent family bird. My next one, and I would be horrible if I didn't mention this breed, the Well Summer. Great egg layers, loving Interesting personality, sometimes full of spice, speckled dark terracotta eggs, and just a very unusual but great family bird. Love, love, love the Wellsuckers. So my last pick is another bird that I only got recently, but wow, what a laying machine. A lovely bird, an American breed, I would say good with families. That is Mm -hmm. the friendly and fantastic layer, the Delaware. Very tall, long-legged Delaware. Sophia and Ella call our Rita the supermodel of our flock because she stands so tall next to all of our other chickens. I can see that. I mean, they really are beautiful chickens. Yeah, Apple Blossom is stunning and she lays an egg six days a week. Yeah, so does Rita. It's another great family bird. Egg-laying ability is awesome. My last pick 
for a great family, great layer, beautiful, and just all around good sturdy bird for your flock would be the speckled Sussex. I love my speckled Sussex. Mary Berry is all attitude, super friendly, fantastic layer. I do have other birds who lay just as much as she does, but I wouldn't call them beginner chickens. Everybody says they're so meek and they get eaten up in a flock. I have had just the opposite. I call Katie Tebas get the warden of the flock. I feel like she's the enforcer. She's always looking at the little ones like, get in line, do this, do this. But with us, she's super friendly. And she's great with the other birds. She doesn't bully them. She's almost like molding them into what she wants them to do. I just love their personality. Yeah, my Mary doesn't mess with anyone. She minds her business. Mary spends 95% of her time eating, (laughs) which is fine. She needs fuel for all those eggs. So right now, those are our recommendations for top layers for beginners. That's a really nice group of birds. You know what, though? I had to throw the Orpington in there, even though they're not one of the top egg layers, because beginner birds, you have to have an Orpington. I am in my 21st year of chicken keeping, and I've just now gotten an Orpington, and I've done okay. They are super, super nice. So here's our big rum roll please moment. The chicks that we are going to get for the 2023 season. If you've been listening to the show for a long time, you'll know that this back end of 2022 was a hot mess. It was a train wreck for me in a lot of ways. For both of us, yeah. And so when it came time to choose our chicks from McMurray Hatchery, Pete and I decided that we are going to go low-key... And by that, I mean, no difficult personalities. We're going with all super laid back chickens in our favorite breeds to go into our big Brahma yard. So we have chosen a dark Brahma. We've never had any dark Brahmas. We're so in love with Emma that we got another silver lace cochin because they are some of the most stunning chickens I've ever seen. We got a blue cochin. Pete just loves the blues. And our last pick was a partridge cochin. And one of the first breeds we ever had was Partridge Cochins. Elizabeth Bennett was the name of the Partridge Cochin. She was my special girl. I was in love with her. We lost her very young. And I haven't had the heart to have a Partridge Cochin until now. So three Cochins and a Brahma. We're going safe and easy. That's what we're adding. That's awesome. So everybody knows that I have two large flocks that have a wall in between the runs. So they're kind of two separate flocks, but one extra large yard. So I'm going to be integrating three into each yard this year. So the first three that are going to come to me are three Houdans that I have been wanting for a very long time. We're super, super excited to be getting these little babies. I cannot wait for the big crested head babies to get here. The other really nice thing about the Houdans is that Houdans are now critically endangered. And so they'll be really fantastic ambassador birds. Yes. And in the other yard, we have our big girls, which they have not had new birds in there for probably three years. We are going to add three silver lace cochins in with the big girls. We're getting laid back flock also. Laid back birds are the way to go when you're integrating. Take it from us. I just know that this year I do not need a challenge on my hands. We have other things that we're working on and we really, really want the laid back beautiful girls. Everybody heard it here first, what we're getting in the spring. (laughs) Next year, I'll probably beef up my Mediterraneans. But this year, it's the big fluffy girls. I'm super excited to have Cochins again and I'll never be without my Brahmas. 
This is my first year for each of these breeds. I've been waiting for a large crested head bird for a very long time. And three babies come in my way. I'm so excited for the pictures, for the videos that we're going to get of all these babies. It's just an exciting time. It's really warming my heart already. So if you have any questions or concerns about finding the right types of chickens that you need for your homestead or farm at or farm, message us. We love talking chickens and you know it. It's a fun time of the year. Now it's time that we're going to move on to cracking eggs, cracking those eggs. This was one that we were excited about because we want to throw like a chicken happy hour soon. And use all of our chicken glasses and all this stuff like a happy hour when it gets warm again outside. And this is one that would be a great app for a chicken happy hour. These just look really neat and it's a good way to use them. We're doing bantam egg top sliders. Also, I guess the Super Bowl is coming up soon. So if you're looking for some game friendly appetizers, these would work well. These are the appetizers that you can serve all your foodie friends and they're going to love them because they're going to look fantastic and taste great and they're easy on you to do. They're not hard whatsoever. If you keep bantams, you'll know that sometimes you end up with a glut of bantam eggs and no practical way to use them quickly. If you have standard chickens too, you just tend to reach for them first. Bullet eggs are two to one and the bantams are three to one. and Exactly. You always go for the bigger egg because you don't want to figure it out, you know? Right. Yeah, it's just easier. So at the same time, bantam eggs look absolutely fantastic in food photography. So these sliders are fun party food. They do taste great and they will use up some of those bantam eggs. Now, there's no real recipe for the sliders. No, just use your favorite ground meat or if you do veggie, do veggie uh, crumbles or however you make your burgers and make that burger just as you would. If there's any kind of a pre-made mini burger or burger that you like, you can use that. Next week, we're going to share a recipe for some veggie burgers. You can make them as mini burgers. That works too. We take like roughly a pound of ground meat or meatless crumbles, mix in herbs, spices, seasoning, and some finely chopped onion or shallot. And then you gently form it into patties. Like if you're going for small sliders, you're going to go like two or three inches in diameter. You can even throw a bantam egg in your mix to help bind everything together while you're making your burgers. Absolutely. And then you're going to cook them however you like, whichever way you prefer to cook your burgers. When the burgers are not quite finished, you're going to heat a skillet with a little olive oil or whatever you use to cook your eggs, butter, whatever. And you're going to crack the bantam eggs into the skillet. You can get those little egg rings. Yeah, those are cool. It looks really pretty if you have the egg cooked in the egg ring to go on top of the yeah. burger. If you want to be you really fancy. At, like TJ Maxx, HomeSense, any place like that. Amazon has them too. I checked Amazon and they do have them. The smallest I found on Amazon was three inch, which is still smaller. If you're doing three inch burgers, that's perfect. Yeah. And the other thing you need to decide here is whether you're going to cook the egg till it has a firm yolk or a runny yolk. Right. So if you're going to fry the egg hard or make it like sunny side up. Right. Any way that you can do it, it's a personal preference on how you'd like to do it, how you'd like to present it. And you put it on top of your burger. It's that easy. Now, if you're gluten-free, the brand Canyon Bakehouse does make some mini rolls or mini buns if you can find them. I've found them at Wegmans and our local Walmart had them too. There are also a million recipes online for making slider buns Mm gluten-free. You can always just serve them on greens or on an appetizer plate with other stuff if you want to. Or you can use a big piece of lettuce. A lot of people use lettuce as a lettuce bun. As a wrap. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah. Yeah. 
It looks adorable. Again, it's fantastic to photograph. It's fun. It's different. I've seen people raise their eyebrows like eggs on a burger, but try it. It's really, really good. It's great. So give it a try. Tell us what you think. Send us pictures because we want to see them of this recipe for That's sure. That's right. Okay. So let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. yeah. This week's retail therapy is the Federal Glass Company. We love this company. And let me tell you something. Chances are you have something of this in your house and you don't even know it. I have a set of, you can use them as glasses or you can use them as like dessert or parfait glasses. And they're federal glass and I had no idea until recently. I got them out of my late father-in-law's house when he passed. Yeah. I had no idea they were federal glass. But anyway, the Federal Glass Company was founded in 1900 in Columbus, Ohio. The founders were George and Robert Beatty and they came from a glassmaking family. So they started off just producing tumblers, you know, glasses. Right. But by the time they'd been in business for about 20 years, they had progressed to making full sets of tableware. They're really cool stuff too. It it's really so is. so different. The company closed in 1979, making their products even more collectible and in some cases, pretty pricey. Of course, we are most interested in their chicken-themed offerings. And this we will say as our collecting tip. If you just want to get it, no nonsense, go to Etsy or eBay. They'll be identified and you'll pay collector's prices. If you're trying to get it at a reasonable price, you're going to have to find it in, in the wild. The wild. And if you find it in the wild, that's going to be the most exciting when you find it because you're going to pick it up, you're going to look it up, and you're going to say, bingo, there it is. And that's how I found one of my canisters, chicken with a lid, a fantastic price in the wild at just some consignment store out there. I was jumping up and down. Federal Glasso is known for their glasses. Right. Does the bottom have the F or the shield? What? Which mark does it have? It has the F. It has the F. That's the most common mark. That's what you're going to find most of the time. So I was told that canister was made to be a grease canister, like to hold your kitchen grease. Mm -hmm. So it's milk glass and heavy. And the bottom of it is smaller and it goes up to the top with a lid and it gets bigger. It has green chicken print all the way around it. I think that's the Dutch green. Yes. And if I remember correctly... They kind of serve as like a fat separator. You would pour the drippings in there and the solid fat will come to the top and you can scrape that off. Exactly. That's, now um, it's just used for decoration in my house. <laughs> yeah. But that, I mean, think about that though. That's thrifty old kitchen stuff. Oh yeah. The plethora of glasses they have. I mean, one is prettier than the next. And how did they know I have a thing about printed glasses? I love old time printed glasses that come with carriers. For parties, for get-togethers, I pull out the carrier, 8 to 12 glasses, and everyone thinks it's the best thing. And it's just so cute. Like you said, Etsy, eBay. Yeah. If you just want to find it and you want it then, that's the best way to go. But finding them in the wild, it is possible. So they started off with tumblers, clear glasses with prints, and then they progressed into milk glass, and they made a ton of things in milk glass. Yes, they did. So one of our absolute favorites... They have footed milk glass mugs that have roosters on them. There are two different prints. There's one that's quite rare, and it's a very geometric red and blue rooster. That one's Mm -hmm. hard to find. Then there's the teal or turquoise rooster mugs that are a little easier to find, but they're so super cool. I think we were texting pictures of these back and forth the other day. Yeah. And every time we'd find one, you'd be like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? 
and it's mid-century stuff. So the stylistic part of it is what we're used to in the vintage world. And it just is so pretty and so collectible. Because like you said, they haven't made anything since 1979. So it makes it highly collectible. They do have these glass tumblers. They essentially look like tall, narrow glasses, you know, regular glasses that have a crowing rooster on them. You can find these, but I will caution that there are counterfeits out there because I almost bought you a set that are counterfeit. Oh, here's the difference. The tumbler with the crowing rooster, the rooster will have grass around the bottom of the glass. Okay, that's good to know. The counterfeit does not have the grass. Oh, that's a good tidbit for anybody listening to this because those glasses are some of my favorite and fantastic for a happy hour. They also made a crowing rooster shot glass. So it's the same image, but it's a nice wide-lipped shot glass. So you can find them, I wouldn't say a lot of the time, but you can find them on Etsy and eBay sometimes. Oh, yeah. And some of the stuff that you're going to find is a little bit more pricey because of the fact that they don't make it anymore. Right. But you have to see with it being highly collectible if you want it or not. The mugs are going to be sized for the 40s and 50s. They're sized for an 8-ounce cup of coffee versus a 25-ounce cup of coffee. Right. The footed milk glass mugs that we mentioned first, they're that style that we call Irish coffee now. Yep. But they're smaller. There's a set of 1940s milk glass coffee mugs. These are not on a pedestal. These are regular coffee mugs. They have a crowing rooster on the side. I think some gold leaf around him. Now, like you said, that's an 8-ounce mug. That's not a 12-ounce mug or a 15-ounce mug. That's a small mug. Do you know how fun that would be to have just as dessert coffee at a dinner party with just a few friends, another couple, and Mm -hmm. you bring out dessert and you bring out the little mugs and you make a pot of coffee? That's what we go for when we're throwing our little get-togethers. We want something that's different, that has a different feel. Like you said, dessert coffee, a couple sips of coffee, a couple bites of cake. You know, it doesn't need to be this huge mug the way I need first thing in the morning. That's a whole different matter. Exactly. So the other federal glass offerings with chickens that we absolutely love are the milk glass mixing bowls. Oh, yes. There's one in that Dutch green, like your... The grease container? The grease container, right. So there's one in the Dutch green that's similar to that. I want to say it's a two and a half quart mixing bowl. Super nice. I mean, really, really beautiful. Rare, hard to find. There's also another rooster pattern. On this one, there's flowers and the roosters are crowing. I don't know what the pattern's called officially, but it's a set of four graduated size. I have found that on a couple of online sellers and those four bowls go for about $500. It's highly, highly collectible. And right now everybody wants some. And like I said, if you look through what you have, do you have anything from your grandparents or great-grandparents? Chances are you have some federal glass. It may not be the chicken print because they made lots of prints of everything right down to Christmas prints, everything else. They also did some trade work. I saw a couple of mugs from a feed store and that would be a fun thing to collect too, but those are much more rare. And finding those in the wild, you'd be jumping up and down in the store. I would be be like, (laughs) we haven't profiled them. We'll do retail therapies on them eventually. But both Fire King and Hazel Atlas have some similar stuff with their own share of roosters. So those are the brands you really want to keep an eye out for, especially when you're browsing through things made of milk glass. And if you go with us, you know we're going to race you to it if we're in the store together. (laughs) We race each other. So if anybody else is with us, God help. It could happen. (laughs) Okay. So look through your stuff. See if you have any federal glass. Send us pictures. We would love to see it. 
Should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we are super excited about. This is in honor of our chick selections. We're going to do the 2.0 version of the coaching. Our main topic, we're going to talk about vitamin and mineral deficiencies in your flock. Yes. Cracking the eggs. We're going to share my recipe for black bean burgers just in time for your football viewing. And you can use them on those sliders too. You can, yeah. In fact, they go really well with eggs. And retail therapy, we're going to talk about new offerings for coop and run toys to keep your chickens entertained for the rest of the winter. Those boredom busters everybody wants. Okay, so what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.